0: In 1913, the United States Postal Service uh, made a huge advancement in the distribution of mail in the United States. They actually decided it was time that you could ship uh, parcel packages from... one city to another, one state to another, it wasn't just letters and mail that you could ship. Now you could ship packages. And so this was an advancement in technology and the distribution of mail around the country. But they put few regulations at all on this, not knowing exactly what would happen. And what they discovered is they needed a few regulations because people even began to send their babies and children through the mail to other relatives. Sometimes it would be so simple as putting a few stamps on a child's clothing or on a baby's blanket and the postal service would, that mailman that worked in that local community would take the child with him and drop the child off a mile or two away. Well, by 1915, the United States uh, Uh, Postmaster General, decided this was not a good thing and that we ought to value children more than this as various incidents began to show up of babies and children being transported. It took a little while for this new regulation not to ship human beings by the United States Postal Service to catch on, and so there were a few that didn't hear about it. As a matter of fact, even after he declared that, a woman in Florida uh, sent her six-year-old daughter to uh, her grandfather in Virginia, 750 miles through the United States Postal Service because the stamps were cheaper than a ticket on the same train. And uh, so that kind of got curtailed and th- these pictures that you see are some uh, some pictures that are actually stage photos to kind of teach people how ridiculous this was and use these photos to say you can't do this, we can't ship people. But the the postmaster general declared children and babies valuable and said, there's no way to even insure them. And people even bought insurance on this shipping idea of kids. But he decided that we can't do this. Our children are too precious to us, and we need to value them. Here at Calvary, we value children, as we said just a few moments ago, because Jesus valued children. If you want to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at this letter from the Apostles Apostle Paul to the first century church at Thessalonica as we talk today about generational investment. We value children. We value grandchildren. We value children and students in middle school and high school, the next generation. Their lives are open. They're not tied up in all kinds of knots of sin, and there's an opportunity for us to invest in them for Christ. We'll look at First Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12 in just a moment. Proverbs 13, says, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, for their grandchildren. Now, there are plenty of Proverbs that, that speak into this as a financial investment, leaving a financial inheritance and legacy, but there are plenty of the Proverbs that would emphasize this goes beyond a financial investment. It goes into the investment of character and faith into the next generation. This is the fourth and final message in our series, Financial Peace. We began by talking about how in the midst of the economic uncertainty that we're in, in our country and in our world, Uh, We don't have to worry or have anxiety. We can trust our God. The second week, Pastor Brian Howard talked about some questions we need to ask ourselves as we use our financial resources that God has blessed us with. Then last week, we talked about how we need to have a generous spirit and giving to God and, and getting to the stage where we love to be generous to other people and to God's work and to God's kingdom. And this week, we talk about how important it is for us to value and make an investment in the next generation. We need to be doing that as parents and grandparents. We need to be doing that as a a church. And again, there is a financial aspect to that, but it's more than that. It's about investing our time, our energy, about investing in the next generation for Christ. Billy Graham, the great evangelist of the 20th century and into the 21st century said, the greatest legacy one can pass on to one's children and grandchildren is not money or other material things accumulated in one's life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. President John Kennedy said, children are the living messages we send to a time we will not see. It's an investment in those children, but also into the future Someone has put it this way, your greatest contribution in the world might not be something you do, but someone you raise. And I recognize that for some of you, there are children that maybe aren't your children or grandchildren that you consider important in your life, and you have those children and students in a sphere of influence, whether you're a neighbor or an aunt or uncle, a great aunt or uncle, and you are investing in that next generation. You're a part of raising those kids, and so I'm not just speaking to parents and grandparents. I'm not just talking about us as a church as a whole. But anywhere you have an influence, if you serve in children's ministries in our early childhood, or elementary, our middle school, or our student ministries of middle school and high school, thank you for investing in the next generation for Jesus. You're a part of, of equipping those children with the good news of Christ and allowing them to live and flourish in life for him. Today, as we look at 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 12, I want us to understand that God calls us to leverage all of his blessings in our lives to impact the next generation for Jesus. Again, that could be at the personal level in our own relationships, but then it's collectively for us as a church, we value preschoolers, and elementary age children. We value middle school students and high school students and even young adults. And Calvary has a a more than 45-year history of investing in the next generation. And we need to continue that and leverage all that God has given us. And I believe that we invest, when we invest beyond ourselves into a time we may not even see if the Lord tarries and doesn't return, we invest into the future There is a peace we receive financially as we prioritize the next generation for Jesus. Now, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 12. You can follow along in your hard copy of the Bible. Maybe you have a mobile device you can follow along in a Bible app. And I'm going to be talking in just a moment about the why we invest, the what of investing in the next generation, and then the how of of investing from this passage. And that basic breakdown of this passage came as I was studying this week uh, from a college pastor uh, back in Kansas that I came across online, some study he had done on this, and his name is Trace Kendrick, and his outline really helped me to see this passage in, in a wonderful light, and so I appreciate the hard work of others that I get to draw, and I want to acknowledge that even in the why, what, and how that you see in this passage. The Apostle Paul had been a part of establishing this church at Thessalonica on his second missionary journey with uh, Silas. And as they traveled, they came to Thessalonica. Many Jews and Gentiles came to Jesus. But there were people in the city who opposed what was going on. And so a mob arose and drove Paul and Silas out of Thessalonica. And they were not able to stay as long as they had stayed in other places to help this church nurture and grow. And so this is a new generation, a next generation of believers, this fledgling church in Thessalonica. Paul sends Timothy to find out how they're doing, and he reports back that they've been struggling because there has been a jealousy among others in the city of Thessalonica that Jews and Gentiles were getting along in this new thing called the church and as followers of Christ. And and so this report comes back that they're even questioning Paul's authenticity, his genuineness, and his authority as an apostle. And so Paul writes, 1 Thessalonians, a letter to that church, and you'll sense his defending himself and his authenticity to them in this selection of 12 verses. 1 Thessalonians 2, 1. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed." For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you in to his kingdom and glory. Do you hear the tone of defense here? Do you hear how Paul is trying to allow them to see into his heart and that he's doing what he does to please God? And he speaks into this next generation. He's investing in this next generation of believers. And I think the principles of investing into new believers are similar to investing in the next generation of children and students in our world. And so I want us to just, as we talk about leveraging all the blessings of God in our lives to impact the next generation of Jesus, I want us to draw some of the the teaching here of Paul in this letter that he gives to the church at Thessalonica. And I want us to understand The why, what, and how we invest in new believers, the next generation, even children and students. So let's look first at why we invest in the next generation. First of all, Paul says we've been approved by God. Speaking as the generation seeking to uh, invest in the next generation of believers, he says we've been approved by God. If you look at verse 4, you see this. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by the Lord, by God himself. This word approved is interesting because it means to, we've been tested, scrutinized, evaluated. We've been judged. And it's, it's in the tense in the Greek that has the idea of completed action in past time with continuing results. So it could be translated, we have been and still are approved by God. It speaks of their status before God himself. You see, Paul knew what any of us who know Christ know, and that is that when we evaluate our lives and we look at who we are compared to who God is, we fall short of his holiness. And then when we understand, as Scripture teaches us, that there is nothing we can do to be approved by God on our own. We can't be good enough. We can't go to church enough. We can't be kind enough to our neighbors and others to measure up to who God is. We'll always fall short, Romans 3 says, When we understand that, then we seek the solution that God has. And that solution of the gap between who God is and who I am as a sinner before him is Christ himself. He died, was buried, and was raised from the dead so that as I put my faith in Christ, he would then judge me. He would then approve me and give me a standing before God that is not because of who I am or what I've done, but because of who Jesus is and what he has done. We put our faith in God and his solution to this problem we have before him. We are approved in Christ. We have been and still are approved in Christ. We have a standing before God when he looks at us, he sees Christ, not our sins, because our sins were taken by Christ on the cross. Our spiritual death was resolved in his resurrection. He gave us new life. So if you're here and you know Christ as your Savior, you can thank God that you have been and still are approved. But if you're joining us this morning and maybe you've been wrestling with this idea that you can't save yourself, only Jesus can save you, then right where you are, you can just right now say to God, all right, Lord, I understand. I now put my faith in Christ, and I'll stop trying in my own effort to measure up. I put my faith in Jesus. And in that moment you do that, the condemnation that is over all of us is removed, as Romans 8, 1 says, and you are then approved. You then are approved now and forever, not just so you can have eternal life, but so he can walk with you today. You have a standing before him in Christ if you put your faith in Jesus today. We'd love to talk to you about this, pray with you, or answer any questions you might have. I'll be out on the patio after the service. If you'd like to speak to me, we can have a person on our team or a leader here at Calvary just open the Scriptures with you and make sure you know what it means to be right with God because of Jesus. And know that you've been approved in Christ, not in anything you've done or said. And then if you want to have that conversation with uh, someone after the service, our care team is down front after each service to pray with you about any need. You can come and speak to them or if you're in the room and maybe aren't able to stop and have that conversation, you need to leave quickly, this is so important. We want you to reach out to us. You can simply text, even if you're joining us online for this worship, you can text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen. And as you just text Jesus in the body of the message to that number, you'll get a response from us and some resources to help you know what it means to know Christ and then to walk with him. And we'll follow up and uh, personally try to walk with you and help you know what that means or answer any questions you have. But Paul understood. He said, here is part of why we are investing in you because we ourselves know the reality of what we're sharing with you, what you have experienced in Christ. Now we want you to share with others and that is we have been and still are approved by God. And secondly, he says, we've been entrusted with the gospel. Part of being approved by God is that God then sends us out to take that same good news we've received and share it with others. Again, in verse four, on the contrary, we speak as though as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Entrusted with the gospel means that God Himself has trusted us with this incredible message of Jesus. It's interesting, this word for entrusted is the same word used in places like John 3:16 about how we are to believe in Christ. We entrust our eternal destiny in Christ as we turn to Him as Savior. And then he, in turn, takes the gospel and entrusts it to us. He doesn't entrust it to the, to the angels to come and declare. He doesn't entrust it to the clouds or the trees to spell out John 3:16 for them. He entrusts us to take the word of God and the good news of Jesus and share it with others, even our children and our middle schoolers and high schoolers and young adults, our grandchildren, those in our sphere of influence as aunts and uncles and neighbors and friends we're entrusted with the gospel. He said, this is part of the reason God has given us this mission. He's given us this message to go with this good news of Jesus. And then thirdly, toward the end of the passage, in uh, verse uh, 11, he says, we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging and comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God. Now, wait, Sean, you just said, We don't have to live a certain life to measure up to who God is. You can't. Only Jesus can save you. That is, you're standing before God. But as we walk on this earth, we are then to grow and thrive and become more like Jesus. As we open God's word and we walk with him and we walk with his family, we're to grow and to reflect more and more the character of Christ and to live a life that measures up to who God is not so that we can be saved. But because we have been saved, because we have been rescued, because we have experienced his grace. And so he says to them, We invested in you for your good, for your good, so you can grow. And then he says about this God that we walk worthy of, this God who calls you into his kingdom and glory, into his way of life, his value system, his priorities, his kingdom, and his glory. See, ultimately, Why do we invest in the next generation of all the blessings God has given us? Why do we prioritize taking the good news of Jesus to the next generation and the generation after that? It's because we not only understand that we've been approved by God or been entrusted with the gospel, but we've been mobilized for the good of others and the glory of God. For the good of others and the glory of God. Do you notice the things that Paul says are not true of him, that it sounds like some have been accusing him of? If you go back to verse three, error or impure motives, he says, we're not trying to trick you. He then says in in verse four, we're not trying to please people, but God. And then he says, you know, we never use flattery. Verse five, we didn't put on a mask to cover up greed. Verse six, he says, we're not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. We're doing this for God. And we here at Calvary, want you to know that what we do, we do not to please anyone else, but to please our God. And as parents and grandparents, as you pour into your children and grandchildren, as aunts and uncles, and you pour into your nieces and nephews, you pour into the children in the sphere of influence, as you volunteer here at Calvary to serve your God in different ministry opportunities with children and with students. If we do that. We do that to please God. That's a vital part of the reasoning behind why we invest in the next generation. We have baby dedications today. We're investing in the next generation. We're gathering toys to show the love of Christ to families who are facing financial hurdles. And we gather about 2,000 toys that are distributed through several Christmas shops over the next few weeks in various parts of our area in connection with our partner, Action. We host one of those, the Special Abilities Christmas Shop here on our campus, and some of those toys go there, but we provide a large amount of toys for the entire distribution through various church sites uh, throughout our region, and we do that. Why? We do that because we know the grace of God. We've been approved by God. We've been entrusted with this good news, and we do this for the good of others and the glory of God. So I just want to encourage you again, as Pastor Jeremy said, that's one way we can make an investment in the next generation. After the service, go to Target, go to Costco, get a couple toys, bring them back, drop them off. Our building will be open through the afternoon. Just bring them back and drop them off. It's their last weekend as the distribution start these next couple of weekends. What we do in investing through our child sponsorship and supporting uh, schools and ministries that reach children all over the world is a part of investing in the next generation of, G- of children together. Let me just encourage you to think about being a small group leader for those new children's small groups that we're going to begin midweek uh, starting in January. We need folks to step up and serve in our children student ministries. It's interesting, since uh, we came back into the building, we were worshiping outside uh, in the last half of 2020, but we came back inside around Christmas last year for our ministries and began to build back the various student and children ministries and adult ministries and worship services on our campus. Um, it's interesting that families with children students came back first and have come back almost to the same levels as pre-COVID, while folks who volunteer, maybe who had uh, challenges in terms of COVID, in terms of their age or their health, or uh, they're trying to reduce their risk because of exposure and those kinds of things, have not been able to come back on our campus or have been able to come on campus but not able to engage with the kids or student ministries. We have children and students coming. Our middle school is bursting at the seams. And uh, we really do need more people to step up and serve here at Calvary. As we think about these children we dedicate, we need it from the early childhood of babies and care during services to our children's ministries in elementary and our middle school and high school. And so I just want to say to you, there are opportunities right now to spend time investing in the next generation here at Calvary. Now, I also want to make sure you know this. Some people get frustrated because they'll go out after service. Like today, you can go out whether you want to volunteer lead a small group for kids or you want to give some time to middle school or high school or children's ministries. You can go out there and talk to Pastor Jeremy, who was just up here earlier and gave you his security question. Mrs. Bice, remember that? Um, You can speak to him and the team that'll be out there. Um, I want to say this. Some people say, well, I'm not volunteered. And they said, oh, I got to be fingerprinted and get a background check. Yes, you do. Because we take seriously the care of little ones and minors in our setting. And so we screen all of our volunteers because we're not, we're not just concerned with the spiritual well-being of the kids in our care. We're concerned with their moral and physical and sexual well-being, quite frankly. We want no child to be in any way in a setting that speaks about God harmed in some way. And so we do do background checks and fingerprinting. And if you have a concern for that, then don't go back there because you will be screened. We have regulations and child protection protocols that we follow. And some people will push back and say, well, I've been working in children's ministries for years. That's fine, but you're still gonna follow the protocols we have because we care about the children here at Calvary. But I can just tell you, we need people right now to step up because families are back, kids are back, students are back. We need people who will step up and say, I'm ready to serve. And you can speak to Pastor Jeremy, reach out to us here at the church. Great opportunities. Why would we do that? because we know the grace of God ourselves. We get to take the gospel to them, and it's for their good and ultimately the glory of God because our desire is to please him by lifting up the name of Jesus, even with the next generation. That's why we invest in the next generation. What about what we invest in the next generation? What we invest? Well, there's this message of God. He says it so clearly As as he uh, declares here in verse four, on the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And then he goes on to say uh, about that same gospel, he says in verse eight So we care for you because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, the good news of Jesus, the message, but our lives as well. But he starts with this message, the good news, God's message. You see, we seek to share the reality of who Christ is from Scripture, the message of God from Scripture. It's not stuff I make up or other people make up. God has revealed himself in his word, and even the living word of Jesus can only be known through the written word of God in terms of knowing who he is as God has revealed him. And so it's important that we communicate and invest in the next generation God's message. This is sharing the truth about who God is rather than who we want him to be. We're not just sharing our opinions with the next generation. We're opening the scriptures. We're not just sharing Barney values or maybe today it's Paw Pals or whatever, Paw Patrol or my kids are in their 20s. I have no idea what Barney the purple dinosaur was big when my kids were young. What I often say to our children's ministry, we're not just providing them the same values they can get from children's programming that just talks about share your toys. We teach them you share your toys, but why? Because that's what Jesus would do. That's the kindness and compassion of Christ. We link it to the values of God and who God is. And so we communicate this message. I love how Psalm 78, 2 through 7, communicates how we take what one generation has learned about God and the message of God and we share it with the next generation. Psalm 78, verse two, I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors, what? To teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children, they then would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. From infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ, Paul said to Timothy in Second Timothy 3.15. You see, Paul said to Timothy, your grandmother Lois and Eunice, they opened the Scriptures for you. In the Old Testament, The emphasis was to teach of the faithfulness of God, give the message of God to the next generation, even so that the children not yet born will hear about God. What do we invest? The message of God. Secondly, we invest our lives. He said we did not only invest the gospel, in verse 8, but our lives as well. He said we poured ourselves into you. The little time we were there, we, we wanted you to know Christ as we're growing in Jesus, we wanted you to grow in Jesus. Paul said to all that he had an influence on for Christ. He said, "Follow me as I follow Jesus." He makes that declaration in 1 Corinthians 11:1, and that is the spirit and tone by which one generation says to the next generation, "Follow me as I follow Jesus. What do we invest? God's message and our lives. This is about making a name for Christ rather than making a name for ourselves so that people hear and see Jesus in and through us. Someone has said it this way, to be in your children's memories tomorrow, you have to be in their lives today. Deuteronomy 6 as the law was commanded and God's word was given to the people of Israel, they were told that this wouldn't just be something that communicated in formal sit-down settings, but it would be a way of life. And as, you read, as I read this passage, it'll talk about when you sit down, when you, when you rise up, when you go in and out of the gates, With your kids in the everyday experiences of life, it'd be like driving to the soccer game or helping them study for school. You you share Jesus. You talk about God and his values. You pour your life into them, what you're learning and how you're growing. Deuteronomy 6, four through nine says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. How do you do that? Yeah, by formal prayer times and times you open Scripture together as a family and talking about uh, the values of this world versus the values of God's kingdom. But then notice he says, talk about them. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In every way possible, when we share the message of God, we share the message through our lives, not just content, that's communicated, but life on life, letting them see how God has forgiven us, how we're growing, how we're becoming more like Jesus. It's an everyday, in every way approach to life. We give our lives to the next generation. As Paul said, we didn't just give you the gospel, we gave you our lives. Now I want to take a moment and just stop and say something to grandparents. Grandparents have a unique role in the lives of their grandchildren today in our American culture. There's an Irish blessing that says, children are the rainbow of life, grandchildren are the pot of gold. The pot of gold at the end, only could an Irish blessing say it that way. Sam Levinson said, the reason grandparents and grandchildren get along so well is that they have a common enemy. (laughs) 83% of those 65 and older say they have grandchildren in the United States. More grandparents live with their grandchildren today than ever in U.S. history. Either the grandchildren are living with their grandparents, may even be raised by their grandparents, or the grandparents are living with the children and grandchildren. But more grandparents are living with grandchildren than at any time in U.S. history today in America. There's even a tourism industry that has grown that's called Skip a Generation Tourism where grandparents don't think about taking their children on the cruise, they think about taking their grandchildren on the cruise. And so there are even tour companies that are advertising skip-a-generation tours and, and communication. And I know for some Christian grandparents, with, when maybe a, a parent kind of goes into neutral with their faith, then it affects the grandchildren, and it's hard to know sometimes. Or maybe even there's an animosity toward... Christianity and faith from a parent and so a grandchild is trying to speak in the life of a a, a, grand, a grandparent is trying to speak in the life of a grandchild. How, how can that happen? Let me just give you a website you might wanna check out, the Legacy Coalition. If you're a grandparent, go to legacycoalition.org. This was founded by a friend of mine, Larry Fowler, and it's a ministry. You can see that web address right there below me on the screen, the Legacy Coalition, just legacycoalition.org. Um, And there are resources, books, tips, ways to have conversations, ideas. There are opportunities to join webinars and talk about how do you behave as a Christian grandparent in our world today where there's so many opportunities for grandparents to pour into the next generation. It's about our lives. Even as you volunteer for various children's and student ministries here, it's about life-on-life impact as we share the gospel. Well, then thirdly, Paul talks about how he invested in the next generation of believers at Thessalonica, and I think it's important for us to understand the same how. He says at the end of verse 7, he says, So we cared for you just as a nursing mother cares for her children. Now, There's something very intimate, and sweet, and tender about a mother caring for a newborn baby and nursing. He says, we loved you so much, verse eight, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. We cared about you so much. Do you care about your children and grandchildren? Do you care about the next generation of believers? Do you care about the children and students of Calvary as we have an opportunity, even in our Christmas offering, to invest in them or you have an opportunity to to be a part of the ministry to them? And maybe you look back and say, years ago, we were involved in children's ministry and student ministry. Well, now's the time to step up and and think about how much you love that next generation and how you want to impact their lives for their good and the glory of God. We're to invest with the tender affection of a mother. I think even with our special abilities ministry, we built this wonderful playground, and then when they started using it at 11 o'clock on Sundays, it's a very tender thing to say to them, okay, we need some shade sales out there. there's a tenderness. There's not just a shouting or arguing with our grandchildren about politics or ideas. There is a tenderness and a caring that is needed like a nurturing mother that's a part of how we approach and how we invest in the next generation. And then he not only speaks about investing in the next generation with the tender affection of a mother, but also with the wise direction of a father with the wise direction of a father. If you look at verse 11, he says, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. How encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. There's wisdom there. There's wisdom. There is speaking into the life of that child. And dads, we have to be careful and even parents and grandparents, we have to be careful because we can speak in the life of a child and frustrate them and hurt them with our words, but we need to encourage and comfort and urge them to live and love like Jesus, to live a life worthy of God. But part of how we do that is not only the tender affection of a mother, and a lot of folks are really good at that, and not only the, tender or the wise direction of a father, but it's the combination of both speaking into the life of a child with that direction that wise direction, that tender affection. And Paul said, we had both of those as we invested in you, the next generation of believers. We need that as individuals in our, the sphere of influence we have with great nephews and nieces or a neighbor or those we serve within the body or our own children and grandchildren. Think about this again. Now, why did Paul say we invest? Because we've already experienced this grace and we've been approved. We've been entrusted to take the gospel to them for their good and the glory of God. What are we investing? We're investing the message of God, our own lives on a regular basis, pouring into the lives of the next generation. And then how do we do that? How do we do that? We do that with the tender affection of a mother and the wise direction of a father. I remember when my memoir was released that dealt with growing up in a home, specifically a Christian home, affected by the traumatic brain injury of my mom and her mental health and physical and other emotional issues she had. When the memoir was released, I was scheduled to be at the Barnes & Noble in my hometown of Mishawaka, Indiana. It's just about a half a mile from Notre Dame University there in South Bend. And I had a book signing, and it was printed in the paper and everything. And people I hadn't seen in decades showed up for this book signing. And there were folks from my home church, of Twin Branch Bible, Twin Branch Bible Church in Mishawaka, Indiana, who showed up. Now, some of them who'd been kind of young when I was young, they were up there in age and they were young adults or starting off in their families. And a common theme they would say to me as they came up to the table to get a book sign and we'd we'd reminisce about the time they taught me in Sunday school or WAN or in children's ministry or vacation Bible school or middle school or high school, um, they they would commonly come up and say, after reading this, I had no idea what was going on in your home. I'm so sorry. If I had known, I would have done better. I felt so bad. I didn't expect them to apologize to me. And I would say to each one of them, look, you didn't have to know everything that was going on in my home. You didn't have to know the problems we had that we kind of kept to ourselves and mom even wanted us to keep quiet. You didn't have to know all that because I can tell you, you impacted my life because you showed up with your life You invested in me when I was in preschool. You invested in me when I was in elementary school at church. You invested in me. You made sure we had programs and ministries in our church that would help me in the next generation. You didn't need to know everything that was going on in my life to make a uh, generational impact or investment. You showed up and you loved me You cared for me. You gave me wise counsel. You spoke into my life for Jesus. We don't have to know all the details of what's going on in a child's life or a student's life. We know they're in those formative years, and whatever they're going through, good, bad, or ugly, we know they need Jesus. And they need Jesus now as young people so they can walk with him in life. Can I just encourage you to think about the children in your life? Are you being intentional about investing in their lives for Jesus? Are you talking to them about God and his perspective as you get up and you lie down and you drive to that soccer game or you go to school? Are you interacting with those children and grandchildren, with the great nieces and great nephews or the nieces and nephews in your life that are special to you? We need to be making a generational investment by leveraging all the blessings, our time, our talents, and our treasures in reaching the next generation with the hope and love of Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for the blessing of children. Thank you that we have an opportunity to invest in them in our own lives at the personal level. I pray for folks who maybe have forgotten that, they haven't been intentional about it. May they see the why, the what, and the how of investing in children, students, even young believers. Father, I also pray that you would help us at the church level to engage and to pour into. Thank you for all the people in that small church in Indiana that poured into my life. They didn't know all the details, but they loved Jesus and they knew I needed him. And they impacted me in incredible ways. I think none of them have anything to apologize for. They did what they knew to do, and they loved me in Jesus' name. Thank you for them. Thank you for those who've impacted the lives in this room, those who've impacted the lives of the folks joining us online. And may we be people who intentionally invest in the next generation for you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.